Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I'm Bridget Doherty of the Soledago Herb School, coming to you from a bridged island on the coast of Maine. In today's show, I'm talking about comfrey, an often misunderstood plant. Before we get started, I want you to know that I'm not a doctor, nor do I diagnose or treat people. What I share is based on my own experience and what I've learned from my mentors. Ultimately, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the common plants that grow all around you. Together, let's make home herbalism be as common in the everyday household as cooking a healthy meal. Now, without further ado, Let's have some fun and dig in. is a beautiful garden plant. I don't see it growing wild at all in my neck of the woods and rarely in all at all in America. Definitely it can become naturalized by the spread of root pieces. There is a wild comfrey, which is the common comfrey, Symphytum officinale. And this is a plant that is wild in Europe. And it has yellow or cream color flowers, usually. It might also have some purple flowers. It tends to be a smallish plant. And the wild species are slow to self-seed. They have a poor flower anatomy that actually makes them hard to pollinate. Insects actually have to eat a hole in the upper part of the flower to get to the nectar of the plant. The most commonly grown comfrey species are actually hybrids, which cannot reproduce themselves. They don't produce any seed, so they're dependent on humans to make clones from the root pieces. Many insects will flock to the flowers and they don't actually need to make the holes in the flowers to to get the nectar. But you'll see that once the flowers drop, there is actually no seed head and no seed is produced. And these hybrids are what are most commonly grown and worked with for medicine. However, with any comfrey plant, Once it is in the ground, once there are root pieces in the ground of comfrey, um, any little tiny piece of a root can create a new plant. 
So if you are ever digging around a comfrey plant or hoeing around it and accidentally break off the root, the roots are actually pretty brittle and easy to break and snap then and can sometimes grow laterally under the ground, then it will automatically produce a new plant. More and more uh, people are growing comfrey from seed. I think these days you can purchase comfrey seed and so that is an option. So you can tell what comfrey plant you have based on whether it produces seed and if it's kind of a smaller in stature plant that produces seed and often has yellow or creamy colored flowers, that's going to be more likely the Symphytum officinale, the official comfrey wild plant. There are other species of comfrey. There's the rough or prickly comfrey, which is Symphytum asperinum. And then there's a Scottish comfrey, which is Symphytum tuberosum. There is the Russian comfrey, which is Symphytum peregrinum, which is a cross between the rough comfrey and the common, the officinale comfrey. And this was made in the 1870s. Henry Doubleday made this cross in search of a stamp glue, because if you Notice the roots of comfrey, if you've ever touched them and played with them, you'll notice that when they're broken off, they do have kind of like the sticky mucilaginous substance. So I only imagine that that's what he was trying to make stamp glue with. But since then, there have been lots of hybridized varieties and they are often Symphytum X and the X means it's hybridized and they're called Uplandicum is the species. So Symphytum X Uplandicum and they are cultivar strains of this hybrid that are called Bocking 1 through 19. So Bocking 1, Bocking 2, Bocking 3 and Bocking is a place in the UK that the Henry Doubleday Foundation was located and it was a foundation that was named for Henry Doubleday because he was so into comfrey um, but that Lawrence D. Hills was a plant geneticist who was working with comfrey and creating the bocking strains in search of an ideal fodder and agricultural plant that would have really high yields. So there was kind of this big change from some of these um, original comfrey plants that then have been cultivated to be large and more safe for consumption than the wild comfrey plant. Symphytum means, comes from the Latin word sympho. So symphytum is the genus of comfrey. Sympho means to come together and to unite. So think of the word symphony. And then phyton means plant. So a plant that helps things come together or unite. Symphytum. And that is one thing that comfrey is really good at, is helping to tissue to heal and come together again. The species name officinale, any plant that has this um, officinale or officinalis as their species name tends to have been the official plant that was 
used medicinally the official species of the plant that was written about in medical books and was like the common plant medicine plant. Comfrey, the common name comfrey, comes from a Greek word comfier, which means to join together and to make strong. Another word that comes from this root is conference. So comfrey has a really rich history, I would say, and a kind of a confusing history as well. And this is from more from the UK and United States perspective of history that I'm speaking of. So it's been a medicinal plant that has been worked with for over 2000 years in Europe and surely longer than that. But since um, then, in the early 1800s, in the 1830s, there was a larger species that was sent to nursery owners in the United Kingdom that was found in a Russian palace garden. And this was, so this was brought to United Kingdom, and this was the peregrinum, I believe, the rough comfrey. And so Henry Doubleday in the 1870s, as I was saying, he cultivated comfrey for stamp glue research, but he realized it was actually not great for stamp glue, and it was actually a better food and fodder crop. He died and all of his research burned in his house that was maybe after, burned after he died. But he had given Russian comfrey a good name with his work, and he had dubbed it Russian comfrey. Later, almost 100 years later, in the 1950s, Lawrence Hills, Lawrence D. Hills, and he actually wrote an amazing, really comprehensive book about comfrey. So you could always look that up if you really want to get deep into the realm of comfrey. But he began hybridizing comfrey, and he started this foundation and named it after Henry Doubleday. So they were living in post-World War II times, and he wanted to find a crop that could feed a world that can, as he said in quotes in his book, I wanted to feed a world that can still be hungry, though its rockets reach the stars. So he cultivated the Bocking cultivars of comfrey. And they kept the quote-unquote Russian comfrey name for its good association because it was became well-known as a large crop and good for fodder. In 1954, the pyrilizidine alkaloids in short, PAs, were recognized as poisons, and studies on the PAs began in the 1970s. So if you've heard of comfrey, there's a really good chance that you've also heard of pyrilizidine alkaloids, or PAs, which are components which are found in plants, and we'll get more into the PAs as we go. But the comfrey bocking cultivars were showing promise at this point as a valuable crop plant. And so it was imported into the United States in the 1970s. 
But at this point, it was called Quaker comfrey because Russian comfrey was not a good marketing technique in the United States at the time because of the Cold War bias. So now they have come to be called Russian comfrey again, even though Russian comfrey was originally a different plant. So this is where some of the confusion comes in with common names, okay? Because we're not, you know, Russian comfrey could kind of be referred to in a lot as a lot of different comfries. But now it's mostly what the standard cultivar hybridized common name of comfrey is. In the 1980s, there were four cases of pyrolizidine alkaloid poisoning that had been linked to comfrey. And this completely stopped comfrey from becoming a large crop. And it effectively ruined comfrey farming industry in both the UK and the United States. So comfrey was seen as a plant that was really easy to grow and you could grow a large amount of it. Um, However, once you plant a field of comfrey, it will forever be a field of comfrey. As I said, any piece of the root is going to grow a new plant. So you'd have to, you couldn't possibly like dig out all the roots from a field. It would just be ridiculous. and You'd always have little pieces. The worst thing you could do is try to dig out comfrey because you'll just create more of it. If you have a comfrey and you don't want more comfrey, you don't even really like where it is, the best thing to do is just let it be and just come to terms with you will have a comfrey plant there. But the more you try to dig it and remove it, the more it will actually spread. So a lot of comfrey fields just had to be abandoned, unfortunately, because there was a huge comfrey scare. And we'll get more into that. In 2001, so this was 20 years later, the FDA took comfrey supplements off of all the shelves in the United States and insisted on putting warnings on all the labels of the herb, whether it was the whole herb or, well, I guess they weren't really having supplements anymore. So you couldn't get comfrey tablets or standardized extracts or can't, you know, drug forms of comfrey anymore. Today, comfrey must come with warnings on the labels. So if you've ever bought comfrey, um, even in bulk by the pound, leaf, root, whatever, it most often will have a label that says to be used topically, do not ingest. So because of this, um, it is comfrey most commonly is used topically. However, there are many folks that myself included that will drink uh, nourishing herbal infusions with comfrey leaf, usually, you know, one, maybe two times a week, unless it's like for a medicinal for short term use. And I feel totally safe in consuming um, a water-based extract from the dry leaf of comfrey. And I will get into that a little bit more. But I would never um, take, especially in large amounts, a tincture of comfrey root. So I find that one thing that comfrey really has taught me is 
how to be in right relationship with a plant that you're working with and really understanding the different aspects of the plant, the different parts of the plant, the chemistry of the plant, and the different preparations that you can make from the different parts of the plant and how you can do so um, safely and to your best advantage. Comfrey really, because it was being cultivated and designed to be a food crop, especially for animals. And comfrey leaves contain a large amount of protein, a large amount of an array of minerals, and a large amount of a, an array of vitamins as well. So some minerals that it includes are manganese and iron, calcium, phosphorus, potassium. It also has some iodine, chromium, cobalt. It has uh, vitamin A's, vitamin B's, including B12, and vitamin C. And again, if you're going to ingest it, you want to ingest it from a dry leaf water infusion. We don't eat the fresh leaf, we don't steam the fresh leaf, we don't juice the fresh leaf. Medicinally, comfrey is uh, slightly bitter, slightly sweet, cooling and moistening. It has um, high mucilage content to it. Again, high in protein, high in minerals. It has some tannins, so it does have some astringency to it as well. It also is high in a compound called allantoin, which is one of the main reasons why it is so good at tissue repair, because it really helps um, cellular growth and regeneration of healthy cells in the body. Comfrey is demulcent and emollient and astringent. So those are kind of opposite actions, but often found in herbs together, which I find is interesting. So actually, we just talked about mullein last week, which also has this demulcent and emollient property as well as astringency, which makes these plants really good tissue healers because the Demulcent and emollient basically are soothing to mucous membranes. Demulcent, I think of more internally, and emollient, I think more externally. And then the astringency is tightening to mucous membranes and toning, and um, so really kind of helps to bring tissue together. So usually plants that have these actions are vulneraries, which means they help to heal wounds. And such is comfrey as well, a vulnerary. Also considered to be a nutritive tonic. The, the demulcent from the mucilage and the astringent from the tannins really are an ultimate duo of opposite and healing actions that it's great to find in one herb. And the mucilage, that slimy healing properties of these mucilaginous plants 
that tends to extract best in cold or room temperature water, not necessarily in hot water. Comfrey is known to bring strength, flexibility, and nourishment to many areas, many important areas of our body, including mucous membranes, which line our respiratory system, our digestive system, our reproductive systems, our urinary system, and um, really helps with our skin and our muscles and tendons and joints really just helps everything move better and soothe and restore. Comfrey helps our skin, our bones, our muscles, our tendons, our ligaments, and our joints all to be strong, resilient, and flexible. And it is anti-inflammatory as well, which is really beneficial after an injury to any sort of connective tissue. Another side benefit of comfrey is that it provides specific proteins that have been found in short-term memory cells and therefore improves their functioning and so overall can improve our short-term memory. I personally really like to work with comfrey leaf as a nourishing herbal infusion. So I weigh out one ounce on a scale in my kitchen of dry comfrey leaf, and I put it in a one-quart jar. And then I fill that jar with boiling water and I cover it with a tight canning lid and let it steep for four to eight hours. That tight canning lid on top of my ball jar, I usually use like a canning jar to put the boiling water in, really kind of helps to um, airlock and vacuum seal as it cools. And it also kind of helps to steam and heat and cook. It keeps the heat in the jar longer and really helps to kind of cook down that comfrey to extract the minerals and the protein from it. After I let it steep for four to eight hours, once it comes to room temperature, I will put it in the refrigerator for two to four more hours without breaking the lid's seal. And I feel like that kind of gets maybe any extra mucilage out of it. And then I will strain it and I'll squeeze out the infusion from the plant material. And that's where you also get a lot of that mucilage. So I like to strain it through like a thin cloth. Those, um, the, the towels that you use to clean smudges off of glassware, they're, I think they're called flower sack towels work really well. And so I'll cut a square out of one of those and put it in a coffee strainer, one of the ceramic drip coffee strainers. And then I'll pour, um, you know, I'll, I'll dump my jar into that. So the leaf material and I'll let the comfrey infusion flow through that drip filter into another empty jar. And then I'll take up that fabric and twist it into a ball and squeeze it with my hands until there's no more fluid that comes out. 
and then I will compost the plant material, usually goes to my chickens. And then I drink that quart of comfrey infusion within 24 hours. And I'll keep it cold on ice or in the fridge throughout that time. Some people like to warm it up and add, you can add like honey to it, or you could add a little bit of mint tea to it, or some people like to add hot cocoa to it. But I personally just like it cold over ice. If I am in a situation where I've injured myself and or I've been through a surgery, then I will drink it every day or every other day for, you know, a couple weeks, or maybe I'll go through a pound of it and then I'll take a little break from it for acute recovery and healing. And then comfrey can also be worked with in topical applications, and that's probably how a lot of people feel safe working with it to avoid the PAs. Although it is said that some PAs could possibly penetrate through the skin, but again, very small amounts. We'll get into the PAs in a little bit in more detail and why I feel safe consuming the comfrey the way that I do. So topically, comfrey can be anti-inflammatory. It can be pain relieving, uh, vulnerary, emollient, and moisturizing. It's not recommended to use comfrey or any sort of comfrey salve or ointment on really deep wounds because comfrey can heal skin so quickly that it can actually heal it from the outside and it could potentially trap bacteria inside the wound. But other wounds, surface wounds, or other types of injuries it can be very beneficial. Ways that it's worked with topically, you could do a SITS bath, which is S-I-T-Z bath, which is good for healing tissue down there. So for any kind of postpartum repair or anal fissures, um, it's an infusion. You basically make the infusion, as I said, and then or you can do larger amounts if you want. You can make a whole pot of infusion, but one ounce per quart. Strain it out and then um, put it in a basin that you can then sit in. So like a dish basin, you can actually buy specific basins for sits baths if you want, or just kind of like a dishwashing tub. Poultices, so you would just take the leaf or even the root and um, chop it up or shred it. Um, for the leaf, I kind of like to cook it a little bit to soften it in a little bit of water. And then you can apply that topically. Great for any sort of minor skin wounds. Again, nothing too deep. And maybe you'd want to put a, if, if it's the tissue, if the skin is really broken up, you might want to put a piece of fabric in between the comfrey leaf and the skin or the wound itself, a thin piece of fabric so that the juices and the moisture from the leaf could still get contact with the skin. Pultis is great for any sort of inflammation or pain, strains, sprains, bone breaks, bruises, 
You can rehydrate the dried leaf. You can even work with the leftover leaf from your infusion. And you can just apply that topically to the injured area. Again, the, f the fresh leaf might irritate the skin a little bit because it has rough hairs on the outside of it. So you'd also maybe at that point want to use a thin piece of fabric or cheesecloth between the plant material and the skin. The also thing to consider is that comfrey has these tannins, so it's going to dye or stain things brown. So whether it's your the cloth that you're using, if you have clothes, you don't necessarily want to get your comfrey poultice or like wet extracted comfrey or even comfrey infusion on your clothes because it can stain it or on your sheets or wherever because it can stain them brown. So use things that you don't really care about and fabric that you don't care about. So the poultice or you could do a compress where you would take the plant material and wrap it up in fabric and kind of also soak it in some infusion and then apply that. You could freeze it first. So then you could apply it icy cold or you could uh, wrap it in foil and warm it up in your oven and then remove it from the foil. As long as it's not too hot, you can apply it warm. You could as I said, you could warm up the comfrey leaf in a little bit of water, mash it up, and then wrap it in some fabric and apply that as a compress. So the dry plant material you can have on hand year round, and it's really easy to rehydrate. You can use the fresh plant material, which is best for like the mucilaginous poultices uh, in the summer and the growing seasons. You people or you could make an infused oil with comfrey leaf. Again, it has so much protein in it that sometimes it's hard to make an infused oil from fresh comfrey leaf because it can easily ferment or go rancid. So a lot of people would prefer to use the dry comfrey leaf and a warm oil extract to extract it into the oil and then you could make an ointment or a salve with that by adding some beeswax to it melting in the beeswax with the oil. You could do like two-thirds oil, one-third beeswax, and then adjust to get the consistency that you want. Comfrey is um, really easy, really easy to grow. Um, it's really well known uh, for use in permaculture designs. So it is a perennial and it has these really deep, long tap roots that can potentially grow up to 10 feet deep, which is pretty impressive. So it's one of these plants that can really mine minerals from deep in the soil and bring them up to the top of the soil, store them in their leaves, and then when the leaves rot back down into the soil, it brings those minerals to the top layer of the soil. So it's used a lot um, in compost piles. Again, you do not want to put comfrey root at all in your compost, but you could put the leaf in there, and if you know that you have a hybrid of comfrey that doesn't produce seeds, you could put the flower flowering tops in your compost as well. 
or you could use it as a mulch in your garden. Um, you can, uh, in permaculture, what they like to do is to make comfrey rings in their orchards. So you'll have your fruit crop plants, and then they'll take pieces of comfrey root and plant them in a ring around the trees. And then the comfrey will grow in this beautiful ring and it creates a weed barrier. A lot of there's some aspect of comfrey that actually can prevent weeds from grow other plants that you don't want to grow from growing right up next to it. Plus it's really big and has big leaves and can overshadow plants as what well, other plants as well. And then what, what the permaculturists will do is they'll cut back the comfrey once, twice, three times a season, and it will regrow. But you cut it back and you put it inside, you mulch inside your circle, your comfrey ring around your tree plant, your tree roots, so that you're bringing minerals to the tree and you're mulching around the tree so you don't have to deal with weeding around your trees. But however, you just have to know that once you plant that comfrey ring, it will always be there. Comfrey is very hardy. It will grow uh, in zone three and up. And again, it's a very nutrient and protein rich for animals, goats, chickens, and pigs, especially. They can eat either dry or fresh leaf. I'd like to say that most comfrey plants out in gardens are hybrids um, that don't produce seeds but spread by root division. But I think these days more and more people are maybe buying seeds of comfrey and growing the actual Symphytum officinale. I will say that most comfrey on the market is labeled Symphytum officinale, even though a lot of it probably is not. Because, again, like if you are going to be growing on a mass scale comfrey to sell, it's going to make a lot more sense to be growing the hybridized form of the comfrey plant because they, you can get way more yield per acre because it grows a lot larger and a lot more easily. Another way to work with comfrey in the garden is to make a comfrey compost tea. So you can put fresh leaves and stems of the comfrey in a bucket, in a five gallon bucket and cover it with water and put a lid on it and let it sit for one to two weeks to ferment and rot, like in a sunny spot of your garden. It's gonna smell horrendous, but you can then open up your bucket and dilute one cup of this compost tea concentrate per gallon of water that you would water the soil around your plants. You don't wanna actually spray it on the plants, but you could um, water at the base of your plants. It's also considered a compost activator. So you could apply this compost tea that you just made or the fresh leaves to your compost pile to increase the nutrients and also feed the microbes. Again, definitely do not put root pieces in your comfrey in your compost. To harvest comfrey. I like 
to harvest it when it is blooming. So you get the stem and you get the leaves that are attached to the stem and you get some of the flowers. And th at that point, you can then tell if it is to make sure that it's the hybridized version of the comfrey, which is the one, the type that I like to work with medicinally. The, the leaves, because they are so high in protein, can bruise easily. So you just want to be really gentle with them. You don't want to really be rough or trample them or stomp on them or even pile them in large piles. You just kind of want to work with them gently. And because the stem itself has a lot of this allantoin in it, it's nice to get the stem as well as the leaves. So I will just, once the plant has this huge stem um, starting to bloom, I'll cut the base of the stem and I'll bring them inside and hang them. And I find it actually works pretty well and it's really quick to do as I use the, um, the wooden clothes hangers, you know, if like if you wash your clothes, like, and you want to dry your clothes and they have these like wooden dryers that you can hang your clothes on, like in front of a fireplace or something or wood stove. So I usually just will take the, the comfrey stems and hang it on those where the leaf meets the base of the stem towards the bottom of the stem. You can just kind of put that V along the rod of your clothes dryer and it just will hang there perfectly. It can take comfrey a while to dry. You wanna harvest it on a very dry day because it holds so much moisture and so much mucilage that it can take a while to dry. So once it's crisp and the stalk is easy to snap, then you know your comfrey is dry enough to store. And you can just kind of fold it up and store it in brown paper bags until you need it. And then you can cut it up with scissors or clippers. The stalk can be relatively hard to clip. Um, or to cut with regular scissors, depending on how large it is. And so you can like cut it up as you need it, but otherwise you can store it in brown paper bags. You can get anywhere from three to 10 harvests, depending on the location of your comfrey per season and the quality of the soil. So every time you cut back a stem, it's gonna send up more stems. There's one poisonous lookalike of comfrey that I know of, and that is foxglove, which I also talked about as a potential poisonous lookalike of mullein last week, especially when the leaves are small. The key is that the foxglove has ridges, um, kind of scalloped edges or ridges around the outside of the leaf where the comfrey is smooth. And the comfrey tends to have a little bit more of a point to the tip of the leaf. But it's one reason why it's beneficial to harvest comfrey when it's blooming, because then you know you definitely don't have foxglove. They're both garden plants, um, and foxglove can self-seed and so pop up in random places. So that's just something to be careful of. There are, have been, I have heard a story of, and I don't know how true it is or not, but of someone who was going out to make um, 
you know, smoothie with fresh plants from their garden and they mistakenly harvested foxglove instead of comfrey and put it in their green smoothie and died from it. So whether that's true or not, it's a cautionary tale. Make sure you know the plant that you're harvesting for absolute sure. The root of comfrey, again, if you're going to work with the root, I never ingest any root medicine. I always save the root for topical use only. And the root can be, I mean, ideally roots are harvested in the fall when the majority of the plant has gone to dormancy especially of perennial plants, and you usually want to wait for the plant to be at least three years old so you can get sizable and healthy root pieces. Again, just know that anytime that you're going to harvest your comfrey root, you're more than likely going to leave multiple pieces in the soil because it just breaks off so easily and it can be such a long, deep root. So you will inevitably expand your comfrey patch every time you harvest root from your comfrey. The root has a black skin on the outside of it. It looks like a very black root, which is pretty cool. Stick with me and we'll be right back talking about allantoin and the pyrilizidine alkaloids and what the whole debate is about the PAs and comfrey. Uh, is best known for these two chemical constituents. One is super beneficial in healing, and the other one is really not helpful for the body at all and can actually, in large amounts, be really dangerous to the body. So let's get into it. Number one, uh, allantoin. Allantoin... It's A-L-L-A-N-T-O-I-N, allantoin, is a cell proliferant, which means it increases healthy cell division and growth of healthy tissues. It has not been shown to increase uh, proliferation of unhealthy cells or cancer cells. So just healthy cells, normal cells, And as I said, the allantoin is concentrated in the hard parts of the plant, such as the stem and the root. Allantoin is a constituent that is actually found in animals, it's found in plants, and it's found in bacteria. It is known to heal wounds, promote healing, and bring moisture into skin. It's used a lot in beauty care products and in drugs that are on the mass market. It's a product of uric acid oxidation in animals, uh, not normally found in humans. 
unless there's oxidative stress, microbial overgrowth, or oxidative damage. In chronically ill or end of life, it's used as a marker to check on the oxidative stress when found in human urine. And it's commonly isolated from cow urine or from comfrey for use in commercial products. So it's extracted and concentrated and purified and becomes a drug of allantoin that can then be added to cosmetics and body care products. So in average, um, in the leaf, allantoin can be found 1,100 to 20,000 parts per million. And in the root, it's 6,000 to 25,000 parts per million. So about a 5,000 part per million difference across the board. The pyrrolizidine alkaloids are a, a group of alkaloid chemicals that are found in a variety of plants. And there are different types of PAs, PAs for short, um, in, found in different plants. So there's actually over 200 types of PAs occurring in about 3% of the world's plants. And eight to nine of those 200 types of PAs, eight to nine of them can be found in comfrey. Two of the more well-known ones are symphytine and echimidine. Plant genuses that have PAs that are more dangerous than comfrey are the Senecio genus, the Crotillaria genus, Heliotropium genus, and Pedicides genus. And they all have more recorded poisoning incidents than comfrey does. There was a recorded Tussilago toxicity. Tussilago is coltsfoot, but it was likely caused by an adulterant with a stronger alkaloid. So there was actually um, Senkirikine is a marker uh, for pyrolizidine alkaloid for the Tussilago genus. And the Senecio Senecioanine was the alkaloid that was found in the product that caused the issue. And I assume that that would be from the Senecio genus. So this is one of the many examples why herbs in capsules are dangerous because you don't actually know what you're getting. So it, this was, again, it was a capsuled supplement product of Coltsfoot but there was um, an adulterant in it that was Senecio, which tended to have more PAs and more dangerous PAs than Coltsfoot does. Um, and that was what was the marker that actually caused the problem, the toxicity of the, the drug. So, and in the cases of the Comfrey PAs issues, we'll get into it, but we're going to see that it mostly comes from supplements. So herbs have been turned into these soft drugs. Symphytum X uplandicum, Bocking clome 19, has the least amount of PAs that have been recorded in comfrey versions. The wild 
Comfrey, the S. asperum species, so Symphytum asperum, has more than six times the PAs and it has the highest concentration of pyrolizidine alkaloids. The asperum species was the rough or prickly comfrey. So it is good to know what kind of comfrey in general you are growing if you're growing one. But again, if it's if it's not producing seeds, then it's likely one of these Symphytum exeplandicums. Pyrolizidine alkaloids, what's the deal with them? So they are known to lead to a disease that's called hepatic veno-occlusive disease, which occurs when cells lining the veins of the liver proliferate so much that they choke off the veins around the liver, which can therefore yield liver con congestion and destruction, which stops the flow of blood, which is definitely a problem and nothing that you actually want to have happen. And this occurs when a portion of the ingested PAs are actually converted by the liver enzymes to a toxic substance that destroys the liver tissue. So it's actually the liver's attempt to alter the pyrolizidine alkaloids so that it can excrete it that actually causes the vein occlusion. So it's not necessarily the PA, but it's what we metabolize the PA2 that causes the main problem. Protein is known to reduce pyrolizidine alkaloid metabolites, and comfrey is very high in protein. And so when you are consuming comfrey, if you're consuming it in a way where you're consuming it with its protein content, like in the nourishing herbal infusions, then it's going to reduce these metabolites from forming. The most serious risk of pyrolizidine alkaloid poisoning occurred when the root of comfrey was turned into a supplement for chronic digestive conditions. They were capsules and the people who took them tended to be malnourished and were already in a state of weakened digestion and nutrient absorption. And they used these capsules over a long period of time and in large amounts. It's been shown that the first cutting of leaves has more pyrolizidine alkaloids than the following cuttings of leaves, and the P but the PAs are found concentrated in leaf buds and young leaves. So again, the, you don't want to necessarily harvest your spring comfrey leaves. You want to wait, um, and that's why it's more beneficial to harvest the stem of the comfrey or when the plant is more mature which if you are a farmer in a large agricultural setting, that's going to be when it makes more sense for you to harvest your comfrey. Because again, you get larger yield for the amount of effort and energy that you're putting in to the harvest. And again, PA is even more concentrated in the root. The root tends to have 10 times more pyrolizidine alkaloids than the leaf. The fresh young spring leaves... Um, in one study was shown to have 
0.22% PA, where the young fall leaves had 0.05%, and the mature leaves have only 0.003%. Two investigations that I found did not find any PAs in dried leaves of comfrey. So once the comfrey leaves were dried, there were no longer PAs um, found. When comfrey leaf is cooked or dehydrated, the PAs are denatured and oxidized. They're not a very stable chemical. So it has been determined that there's no toxic hazard from comfrey herb and tea due to the instabilities of the PAs, especially if you're using dried comfrey leaf and you are cooking that for a long time in the case of the nourishing infusion where we're steeping it for four to eight hours. There might be more problem if you're like taking a fresh leaf and steaming it and then just eating it because steaming it's not really cooking it very much. Um, so the PAs, and especially if you're doing like, oh, fresh spring greens comfrey, I'm going to eat some of these like fresh little leaves and leaf buds, lightly steamed and in large quantities over a long period of time, then there's a potential you could run into some problem there. Basically, the more drug-like you make the comfrey, the more dangerous it becomes. The more you isolate the pyrrolizidine alkaloids, the more dangerous they become. You'll find, um, you know, if you were to research online or something, just look up like pyrrolizidine alkaloids, you would find studies on them that say that they will kill you, that they'll destroy your liver, that they'll cause cancer. And what these scientific studies have done is that they've extracted any number of these 200 PAs and isolated them, concentrated them, turned them into a basically drug of the pyrrolizidine alkaloids and injected them into mice at really high dosages and then waited to see what happened to these poor innocent little mice and not good things happened. So definitely don't do that. Like don't go and find some pyrrolizidine alkaloid drug and inject it into you. That is definitely not being in right relationship with comfrey. But using dried leaf cooked for a long period of time in a water-based extract is very safe in my opinion. And from the research that I have done, I feel very personally comfortable and confident for myself to consume. PAs have an accumulative effect on the body without symptoms. And so this is also scares people to some degree because the lack of symptoms leads to this feeling of mystery and fear around the PAs. So you could, you know, again, if you were eating large amounts of the PAs, you wouldn't notice the accumulative effect until it was until you started to get sick. Although there was one person that did have the negative effects, um, I think from taking the comfrey pepsin tablets is what they were called from the root. 
and she went into the hospital and stopped taking it and did recover again because our liver is very good at recovering so you can it's not irreparable damage like if you were to do this but again there have been very few instances that this has actually been a problem and again it's the way that you are consuming it as well great thing about being an herbalist and working with whole plants is that we don't have to be boxed in by one chemical we aren't turning that pyrolizidine alkaloid into a drug and consuming it we have the whole plant in all of its complexity and a lot of ways that we can prepare it so in some plants for herbalism like we actually want to harness the alkaloids for medicine and a great way to do that is to make a tincture an alcohol extract alcohol is really great at extracting the poisons from plants and the alkaloids from plants in comfrey we don't want the alkaloids so we don't want to make a tincture of comfrey and take it internally we want the water soluble properties of comfrey we want the minerals and we want the vitamins and we want the protein and we want the allantoin so there's no need to turn it into a drug right the comfrey into a drug what we do need to work with the comfrey to, is to eat it in its well-cooked food form as the infusion or as a topical treatment and in these forms we won't have problems once we start to isolate the alkaloids turn comfrey into a drug then we will start to have problems and that's this is again where we can really learn about being in right relationship with herbal medicine knowing the part of the plant you're working with is it the aerial part the root is it fresh or is it dry how is the plant prepared and how are you going to consume it or are you going to consume it and what is the health of the person who is consuming the plant part that's also very important in fact water extracts of comfrey leaves has been shown to decrease tumor growth and increase survival time in cancer patients and it's thought that it may have anti-cancer activity however if you concentrate the pas and then inject them alone then those have been linked to tumors in mouse studies so again that's the difference reports of poisoning from comfrey pas occurred between um, the years 1980 and 1990 from what i found there are four or five reports that are recorded there was a 13 year old boy of 47 or 49 year old woman there was a pregnant woman and a 23 year old man all in the 1980s that had problems with comfrey and you can look at each one of those to understand how not to use the herb so the reports were from people who had all had debilitating health issues and impaired nutrition to begin with they had protein deficiency often seems to be a role in the effect of the pyrolizidine alkaloids which yields a stronger effect the protein again helps to stop that metabolite from being formed that causes the problem 
And again, the whole food infusion of comfrey contains a large amount of protein, so that's the safest way to ingest it. Rodent studies are not an accurate representation. Um, again, we may act differently than rodents, and the studies are done from injecting PAs directly into the blood in really high concentrations that there's no way that we would ever be able to consume in by consuming comfrey leaf. And then we have to think about what does even the word safe mean? So we can compare incidences of comfrey poisonings, which what were four or five and um, two deaths from aspirin per year. I mean, when was the last time you heard of someone dying from comfrey ingestion? Apparently it was before 1990 that I could find. In 1998, this was a long time ago, but this was the, the data that I could find in 1998. There were 52,751 cases of toxic exposure to ibuprofen alone, and there were 13,519 of those were treated in healthcare facilities. Also in 1998, there were 10,000 deaths and 100,000 toxic exposures to all NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. So again, and that people don't often have a problem with taking an aspirin. So I think in general, there is a lot of fear that comes around the unknown and herbs tend to be unknown um, because they're not used as much as say ibuprofen is. But at the same time, they also have such a large range of chemistry in them that it's really hard to end a lot of variation in them. Like one comfrey plant that is grown on one side of the country is maybe going to have a different, you know, uh, set of constituents in the exact numbers than a plant growing on the other side of the country or from season to season or even from spring to fall, as we noticed, um, as I mentioned earlier, like the spring leaves are going to be much higher than the fall leaves in pyrolizidine alkaloids. But then once you dry them, then you can't find the pyrolizidine alkaloids at all. So the variability of herbs is the magic of herbs. And, but it can also be what I think people fear the most in herbs. So again, it's all about being in right relationships. And it's important that you are aware that this is an issue, that there are pyrolizidine alkaloids, and that the in my from what I have learned from my mentors and from the research I have done, um, that basically, if you want to ingest comfrey for its awesome health benefits and healing properties, to make a water-based preparation of from the dried leaves for a long cooking time is going to yield you a large amount of protein and a very small, if any, minuscule amount of the pyrolizidine alkaloids 
which is the perfect ratio. Do not ingest the root, uh, do not ingest the tincture, and do not ingest any extra large quantities every day for a very long time. And you should probably be just fine. Also, don't apply topically to really deep wounds. Those are the considerations. So how have I worked with Comfrey? I will consume um, the nourishing herbal infusion of the leaf, so the one ounce of dried leaf in a quart jar, on average once a week. When I had an emergency appendectomy, I drank, uh, as soon as I got home, I drank a nourishing herbal infusion of comfrey every day or two every day, two, one to two quarts every day for a couple weeks. In a two weeks time, I went through one pound of dry comfrey leaf and I had no problems and I actually healed really, really well from my surgery. The other time that I used comfrey acutely was last summer when I injured my knee. I have not had an image, so I don't know exactly what is going on in there, but according to my physical therapist, I most likely tore um, a ligament, uh, potentially fully tore it. And the comfrey, I was both applying topically, the I was drinking the infusion daily uh, for weeks, maybe even a month. And then I was also taking the leftover plant material from the infusion. And I was doing, as I said, with the compress and the poulticing, I would just leave it in the fabric that I had strained it in. And I just put that in a Tupperware in the freezer. So I always had had a compress of comfrey ready to go in the freezer. And then I would apply that to my knee. And then um, as like daily, all the time, you know, I was always kind of having cold compresses on it when I first injured it. And that was, I would have it as with comfrey as much as possible. And then I would take, um, from the comfrey that I had grown and dried myself, the stem of it, um, after making the infusion, I could take the stem parts and you could open them up, you know, after they're wet and you could just feel all that mucilage in the stem. And I would just like rub that all over my knee, which I, which I think was very anti-inflammatory and pain relieving as well. So that's how I've worked with comfrey. I also love to have it in the garden. Um, if you don't already have a comfrey plant, Maybe your neighbor or a friend has a piece of a root that they would happily offer to you so that you could start your own comfrey plant by simply just putting it in the dirt, covering it, and watering it. And in a year or two, you'll have a beautiful, large comfrey plant that you can play with. I hope this sheds some light on the whole pyrolizidine alkaloid debate, the great comfrey debate. And I hope um, it gives you some clarity on some safe ways to work with comfrey and to 
helped it to become an ally in your nourishment and in your healing journeys. Feel free, I would love it, if you would rate and review the podcast. Um, If you would like to give me five stars, that would be awesome. I'd love any feedback that you have. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, with my website. You can sign up for um, uh, my informational and inspirational newsletter. All of those are the tag Solidago Herb School. You can also find the Healthier Podcast on Instagram. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Bridget Doherty. Until next week, be well, let intuition guide you, and have fun with herbs. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.